the scripture for our sermon this morning is 1 John, or, or rather the Gospel of John, 1st chapter, verses 10 to 13. But I'm going to begin our reading at the beginning of the chapter. So let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's words. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, reading through verse 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to, the, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten this part of your word in our hearts and in our minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we have been uh, looking at John 1, 1 to 18. And uh, at the very end of the Gospel of John, John tells us why he wrote the Gospel. He tells us that he wrote the Gospel so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that in believing that Jesus is the Christ, you might have life in his name. So in the first 18 verses, John sets out to introduce us to the Christ. And he tells us that the Christ is the Word, and that the Word was there at the very beginning in creation. He was there as the agent of creation, but he was also there uh, as very God of very God. He tells us that he was uh, the light, and that he was the life, and that that light and life could never be stopped. Well, then John uh, takes a little time to paint a sidebar uh, for us, and he tells us about this fellow named John the Witness, whom we tend to know as John the Baptist from other Gospels, but in the Gospel of John, he's more John the Witness than he is John the Baptist. And uh, John played a really significant role, but the Apostle John wants us to know that John the Witness was just that. He was a witness to the light. He was not the true light. The Word the Christ is the true light, which coming into the world brings light for absolutely everyone. Um, 
And then uh, the question arises, well, if the word brings light and life for everyone, how, how are people going to respond? Now, you would think after this kind of magnificent presentation that the response would all be uh, just positive. But let's just take a look at our text, uh, the first chapter of John, verses 10 to 13, because here John tells us that as he's introducing us to the Christ and what we are going to expect to read as we go on through the gospel, he tells us of mixed responses. And uh, in the first couple of verses, he tells us about some negative responses to the word. And then he tells us about the positive response to the word. So let's look at these mixed responses to the Christ uh, in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. First of all, negative responses in John uh, 1, verses 10 and 11. And uh, the apostle tells us of two different groups of people who had negative responses. He first of all will tell us about the response of the of the, uh, of the world, and then he'll tell us of the response of his own. Notice that he says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now, John uses the word world throughout his gospel quite a bit, and he uses it in three different ways. So when you're studying the Bible, you always have to be careful that just because a word means one thing in one text doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be used the same way in every text. Ordinary language doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, when you're speaking, you, of course, since you're fluent in English, you don't, you don't stop to think about it. But when you're speaking, you actually use words in a multiplicity of ways, sometimes even in the very same sentence. Uh, John uses the word world for the, the created order. He also then uses it in a more narrow way for the people who live in that created order. And then especially as we get toward the end of the gospel, he uses it even in a more narrow way for the people who live in that created order who stand opposed to God. So three different ways. Now, in our text, in the first two, clearly he's talking about the created order. The word was in the world, the created order that God has made, and that created order that God has made, in fact, was made through the word. Then he goes on to say, and the world did not know him. Now, he's not talking about the creation here. He's not talking about rocks and stars. He's not talking about mountains and valleys and rivers. Here he's talking about the people who live in the world. Probably not with that sense of opposition, because that really doesn't start to come into John's gospel until later. But there's already a hint of it, isn't there? There's a hint that when, when John says he was in the, in the creation, and though the creation was made by him, the people that he created didn't know him. There's a hint of that opposition. See, there's that negative response, right? The world did not know him. Now, I'll give you two R's. Since we're Presbyterian, I wish they were P's, but they're not. Um, um, I was going to say, since a lot of us are probably Republicans, but I don't know that. <laughs> 
So, so we have, uh, that was either we have a Republican in the group or uh, we have at least one Democrat in the group. I'll let you decide. All, all data is subject to interpretation. The first, I'm going to give you two R's. The first R is recognize. When it says they didn't know him, it means they didn't recognize him for who he is. This happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you as well. When we lived in California, we actually had a, a, a pretty cool experience once. A, a friend of Adele's family had gone to Princeton uh, for his undergrad, and he was a roommate with this fellow named Dean Cain. If you know the name, he was like the TV uh, uh, Batman. And so we got invited to this wedding. And uh, there's this woman there that's uh, probably about my age. And we're just making small talk before the wedding. And um, I didn't know her. That is to say, I didn't recognize her for who she was. So I'm making conversation. I say, oh, what do you do for a living? She said, well, I make, uh, I, I make music. I said, oh, you do? Have you ever cut an album? She said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have like 16 albums and I just got back from my seventh tour of Europe. Um, she, she was a really, really well-known country singer. And, uh, but I didn't know her. I didn't recognize her for who she was. And that's what John is saying. Uh, he was in the world and the world was made through him. But when people in the world saw him, they didn't recognize him for who he was. But there's another R, and that's respond. Because when we look at know in the Old Testament, knowing God is not just, it's not just recognizing who he is. Uh, it's responding to him with faith and obedience. And so when John says they, they didn't recognize him, for who he was, what goes along with that is they didn't respond to him as they ought to have responded because of who he was. They ought to have responded with faith. They ought to have responded with obedience. But they didn't. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. It's kind of hard to believe from some perspective, but that's what John tells us. There was this Negative response, the response of the world. What's even harder to understand, though, is what John goes on to say in verse 11, and that is the response of his own. Now, remember, I just told you that sometimes we can use one word in two different ways. That's true here. In verse 11, it says, he came to his own and now, the, um, the NASB helps us a little bit. If we were being a little bit more wooden in our translation, we would just say, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. There is a slight difference in, in Greek. Greek has case endings. That is, um, the word for, um, for mother will be marked as feminine. The word for father will be marked as masculine. But then Greek also has a neuter when something's not masculine or feminine. And so you can see sometimes things in the Greek text that you don't see uh, reading in your English Bible. Um, and that's why seminarians... There's at least one in this room who's studying at a pretty good seminary that I know. 
Um, that's why seminarians take the time to study Greek and Hebrew. Uh, because it, it, it helps them, even if they don't become experts in it, when they're reading things in commentaries and that sort of thing, they have a heightened ability to, to see things so that they can pass them on to you. They can feed the sheep. Um, so when it says he came to his own, that's a, a neuter. And really the way it's used in John is it, he came to his own place. That's what it means. He came to his own place. For example, in John 16, 32, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own. And that is translated in the NASB, each to his own home, his own place. Or John 19, 27, Jesus said to the disciple, that is to John, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own. The NASB says into his own household. So this first own is one's own place. Now, it's not that Jesus went to his own house. What was Jesus' place? His place wasn't just the world as a whole. His place was one small part of the world. His place was the Roman province of Judea. What we might think of as modern-day Israel. He came to his own country. We could translate it. But then the second own is a masculine plural, and it could be translated his own people, which is why the NASB says those who were his own. It's personalized. Uh, so he came to his own country, Judea, but his own people. What about his own people? Notice John says they did not receive him. Now, when, when John says his own people didn't receive him, he's simply saying that by and large, Jewish people of that day didn't receive him. Uh, he's not saying that absolutely no Jewish people received him. We know there were Jews who embraced the, the word, the Messiah, the Christ. But by and large, John says his own people did not receive him. And the rejection of the word, the rejection of Jesus is going to be a growing theme throughout the Gospel of John. And it's going to culminate on Good Friday. When the rejection of Jesus results in his crucifixion on the cross. And this is just a, you know, history repeats itself. This is an old pattern. It's a deeply rooted pattern of God sending his word to his people throughout the history of the Old Testament. And time and again, they rejected him. I just gave a short lecture on the prophets, and I tried to summarize all of the prophetic books with one verse. Now, that's a challenge. But I took a verse out of Jeremiah uh, that refers to my servants, the prophets. And the Bible tells us that God said time and time again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, but you wouldn't listen. Somewhat understandable, I guess. But the identity of this messenger, not just a prophet, but the word, the agent of creation, 
the light, the life, very God, a very God. He came to his own country and his own people, what? Did not receive him. There are negative responses. From one perspective, it's hard to believe, isn't it? God is good, God is kind, God is merciful, God is the light that brings light to everyone. God has made this beautiful world in which we all live and move. And you would just think that, well, maybe everybody would just know him. Uh, Recognize him for who he is, respond in faith and obedience, receive him. But that's not the case. And uh, let's go on and, and, and see, though, a positive response, and it'll in part help us understand why there are these negative responses. In verses 12 to 13, uh, John tells us of a positive response, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's look at this positive response. Now, as we've seen already in the Gospel of John, we we say if somebody's a new believer, give them the Gospel of John because it's so simple, and on one level it is. But in these first 18 verses, John introduces us to some very profound theological concepts, some very profound mysteries. One of those things that we've already looked at is the whole concept of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. And here it is once again. When we look at these positive responses, we can either look at them from the side of human response or we can look at them from the side of divine initiative. And so which one should we look at this thing from? And the answer is both. Why? Because John does. So let's look at what John has to say about these positive responses, first of all, from the human side. Notice he says, as many as received him. People have to receive Jesus. Now I know that we don't typically speak that way in reform circles. I grew up that way. I, I didn't know it because I didn't, nobody used the theological terminology, but I grew up as, a, uh, as a, an Arminian uh, dispensational Baptist. <laughs> nobody used that language, but as I grew and started to learn a little bit about theology, I kind of started to get some labels for where I came from. But people always talked about, did you receive Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? And sometimes in reform circles, we don't hear that kind of language, but it's good language, it's biblical language, it's the language that John uses. He says, as many as received him. Now, what's that mean to receive? Let me tell you two things that are closely related. First of all, to receive Jesus means to accept him. John 12, 48. Jesus said, he who rejects me and does not receive. What's receive? Receive is the opposite of rejecting. What is the opposite of rejecting? Accepting. To receive Jesus is to accept him. 
It's to accept Him as true. John 17, 18. For the words which, I, which you gave me, says Jesus to the Father, I have given to them, and they have received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. To receive is to accept. To receive is to accept as true. And uh, John goes on to say, and they believed that you sent me. Because this human side is not only receiving Jesus, it's also believing in him. Uh, notice that, um, that uh, John says, as many as received him, to those who believe in his name. From a human side, when we're looking at this question of responses from a human side, people have to respond. They have to accept Jesus as true. But, um, but, but there's more than just accepting Jesus as true. They've got to believe in his name. You can accept the fact that somebody that you know is a liar. You might have somebody in your, no doubt, extended family. You know that uncle? Um, uh, somebody who's just an inordinate liar. And you accept as true the fact that they're an inordinate liar. So what don't you do with regard to what they say? You don't trust a word of it. See, it's one thing to accept something as true... It's another thing to believe, which means having confidence in, putting your trust in. Uh, that uncle that you, you truly believe is a liar, you don't have any confidence in, you don't trust. That's why John couples not only receiving Jesus, but believing in him, having confidence in him, trusting him with your very life knowing that he is true and that what he says is true and that everything that is recorded in the Bible about him is true. You can go to the bank with what it says about who Jesus is. You're willing to put your very life, not only your temporal life, but your eternal life into his hands. You believe him. You accept him. His name that encompasses his whole person. See, people have to respond, and, and some respond by not knowing, some respond by not receiving, but then there's this group of people who receive. They, they receive him, they accept him, they believe in him, but we still haven't gotten kind of down to the why, and the why is the divine side of the coin which uh, John talks about when he says, uh, notice first of all, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're a child of God this morning, you did not give yourself the right to become a child of God. There's only one person who can give you the right to become his child, and that is God. And Jesus is God, and Jesus has given you the right now, the, the Greek word that is translated right uh, can also be translated power. 
That's something different, isn't it? Did Jesus give you the right to become, or did he give you the power to become? And some people talk about the fact that John is saying that Jesus gave you the power, and so you have to exercise the power that he gave you to become a child of God. Uh, the problem with that is the, the Apostle John doesn't use this Greek word in the sense of power. He always uses it in the sense of authority or right. Just for example, one uh, John 5, 27, he gave him, here's this Greek word, he gave him authority to execute judgment. John 17, 2, even as you gave him authority or the right to do with all flesh whatever you want to do. Or John 19, Pilate said to him, do you not know that I have the right to release you and I have the right to crucify you? Jesus answered, said, you would have no rights over me unless it had been given to you from above. You see, you have no right to be a child of God. Uh, and here's where we begin to understand the why of the negative responses. It's that short saying in Adam's fall, we sinned all. By nature, we are, are no longer the children of God. That is, those who believe in him, those who trust in him. By nature, we're the world. By nature, we're the ones who are in opposition to God. Until God steps in to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Yes, we, we receive, we accept, we believe. And we do that because He has given us the privilege, the right, the authority to become his children. Uh, and that's why John ends by saying, who were born. Who were born. A birth not of human origin. Notice John says, born not of blood. Referring to the physical process of birth. Not of the will of the flesh, referring to human desire in general. Not of the will of a man, referring to the desire of a husband in particular. John is piling up, not of, not of, not of, but they all share one thing in common. Not of human origin. This right to become a child of God is coupled with this birth that you have experienced. And it simply does not have human origin. This birth does not originate with you. It originates outside of you. As he says, it's a birth of divine origin. Born of God. I'm no Greek expert, but, but I can read enough Greek to see kind of a beauty. Our translations say, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. The Greek says that same thing, but in a little bit different order. It simply says, those who were not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, still hasn't told us the verb yet, but we're born of God. He saves the best for the very last. 
Now, later, John's going to talk about this birth more. Um, and, and it's an interesting text. He's going to talk about being born anothen. And scholars debate whether anothen means we're born again or whether it means we're born a second uh, 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 from above. Because the word can either mean again a second time or it can mean above. And given the beauty of John's writing, I'm as sure as I can be that it means both of those. You see, you have to be born a second time. I'm not talking about the physical birth from your mother's womb. But where does this birth come from? It doesn't come from down here. It's not of human origin. It comes from above. It's of divine origin. And the mystery is, as we have already sung in uh, How Sweet and Awesome is That Place, the mystery is that by God's grace, a grace that is incomprehensible to us. You are one of those who were born of God so that you could receive, so that you could believe. We have a new granddaughter, and of course she's the cutest granddaughter ever, right? You all have one of those too, probably. Um, but you know... Before you're born, you can't receive anything. Before you're born, you can't believe anything. You've got to be born first. Volumes have been written in theology on what I've just said, and we don't have time, and it's not part of the immediate context to discuss it. But John will later make the point with regard to this positive response. Oh, oh please. I know this sounds simple, but never take it for granted. Never take it for granted. You have it only because he gave you the right. You have it only because he gave you a birth that is not given to everyone. How should we then live? as recipients of this right to be children of God. Well, let me conclude just by saying two things. One, don't be surprised at mixed responses. Whether those mixed responses are in your family, Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Or your neighborhood, or where you work, or in the world at large. Don't be surprised that some people don't know him. Don't be surprised that some people don't receive him. One final question, and it's the question, and that is, what is your response? Not the person beside you, or in front of you, behind you. It, it, not your mother, not your father. It's a me, O oh Lord. What's your response? There are two possible responses for absolutely everyone sitting in this room this morning. One response is negative. I don't know him. I don't receive him. One response is positive. To receive him to believe on him. 
before you leave this room, make sure that you know clearly what your response to the word is. More than that, make sure that it's a response of acceptance. It's a response of faith. You see, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to, what, what's the R word for what we're going to do with regard to the elements? We're going to receive the elements. And in receiving the elements, we are professing our faith that we are among those who by His grace have received the word. We need to not only have received the word, but we need to continue to receive the word into our hearts and into our lives that we might be more and more transformed into the children of God, for that is what we are. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take this part of your word and write it on our hearts that it might shape our thoughts, that it sh might shape our, uh, our feelings, that it might shape our wills, that we might more live out who we are as your children because we have heard this word from you. We pray this for your honor and glory now and forevermore. Amen.